Tim's turn. And it's going to be a very disciplined turn because we're having soup. Soup is important, is it not? Yeah, no, I need that. I need that. Ah, hello. Hi. I'm good. How are you? So we've been talking about this concept of the ecclesia, the ecclesia, the... Oh, hello. I've got some really good hecklers down the front. Love that. Well, I'm not going to be up here for that long. Um, because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you go, yeah, right. Because I'm going to show you a video. And it goes for about 20 minutes. But I want to set it up for a couple of minutes. And then we're going to watch the video. Then we'll bring this thing to land. And um, then it'll be time for some soup and natural ministry, which is a bit of a dad joke. I mean, we can do both kinds. Um, We've been searching for what is God's blueprint for his church? When Jesus birthed the church and talked about the church, and Steve Frost did a brilliant job over a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, talking about this. He said he could have used a number of words to say, this is my church. He could have used a word that was like synagogue, which was a place where people come to, they, they hear teaching and they do spiritual activities and then they go away. But Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't use that word. He used this word, ecclesia, which was kind of like a parliament. It was, it was a legislative body and it was a, a body of people that were called out of their homes into the public place for the benefit of their city. And he borrowed a concept from secular Life. It, it wasn't a Jewish, Israeli, Hebrew concept at all, and hence you don't see that word anywhere in their language. It was a Greek concept, like the word apostle, was a Greek concept that Jesus looked at that and went, I'm going to build my version of that. And I said a few weeks ago, I've always read these verses in Matthew 16 where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, as Jesus saying, I will build my ecclesia. But in the last few weeks, I've come to put the emphasis in a different spot. Because this thing called ecclesia was something that was, that was common in culture, kind of like a business or a board of directors or a court or a parliament. It was something that was very common. Everyone knew it. Now, I think he said it's something like, I'm going to build my ecclesia. In other words, I'm going to build my version of this thing that you see. I'm going to infuse it with kingdom DNA, and I'm going to use that thing to transform the entire world. Now, I think we've had the blueprint wrong for a few centuries. Why do I think this? Chris Vallotton, when he wrote his book, Heavy Rain, how many of you have seen that book, Heavy Rain, or heard of it? Um, by Chris Vallotton. He's the two I see at Bethel. Um, All three of you, awesome. Um, It is a really brilliant book about apostolic prophetic church. One of the things that he did as he wrote that book was he did some social research on cities that had massive churches. What he found in his research was a little bit shocking the greater the population of church-going people in the city, the worse their social statistics were. I know, you wouldn't think it would be that way, right? You would think it would be the other way around. But the more people as a percentage of the population that were in church, the worse the social stats were. 
And, you know, we believe as we get together, as we worship, we change the atmosphere over a city. And I absolutely subscribe to that. I'm a big fan, huge fan, massive fan. (laughs) But it seems like there's something wrong if that's the case. Now, I don't know if you've heard this, but there is this kind of teaching concept thought out there that says, as we get closer to the end, the light will get lighter and the dark will get darker. Anyone heard that? Has anyone found a scripture to justify that? If you have, good luck, because there ain't one. It doesn't actually say that in scripture anywhere. It's a concept that we've made up based on our experience that helps us justify being completely irrelevant to the world. Is that a bit harsh? Because if a light gets lighter, unless you put something over the light to keep it contained, it's impossible for the dark to get darker. Because the nature of light getting lighter, it makes everything lighter. Hmm? So I want to suggest that there has been a problem with the blueprint of the ecclesia because in the first century when the, the ecclesia was birthed and we see it in the book of Acts, we get 15 years or so into the church being around and when the church, the missionaries are coming to the city, they say these people who have turned the world upside down are coming here. That was the impact of this thing called the ecclesia. These people that have turned the world upside down are coming here too. That was the testimony of the city. And yet our stats say something to the effect of the more people who are in church on any given Sunday, the worse the social stats are in the city. There's something wrong with the blueprint that we're building off. It's not all bad. Lots of people have amazing experiences. Lots of people grow. Oh, hello. You weren't there before. Welcome. (laughs) But I want to suggest there's something wrong with the blueprint if that is the impact that we're having. That as we gather, as we do what we do, it's not transforming out there. So what I want to show you is a video, and this comes out of the ministry of a guy called Ed Silvoso. He's one of my heroes in the faith, um, both from, he's one of the most brilliant, profound teachers of Scripture and exponents of Scripture that I've experienced, but he also has been a part of seeing multiple cities completely turn around. And this video is the testimony of one of these cities. It's called Ciudad Juarez. It was known as the murder capital of the world. So it's at the northern end of Mexico, kind of bordering Texas, but on the other side of of the Rio Grande, um, the river that separates the two. And um, the city got overtaken by drug lords um, to the point where basically the whole city was in lockdown. Within four years of the church doing something about this, There is singing in the streets and you'll see the stats on here. But I want you to really pay attention, not just to the story and to be encouraged by the story. And then on the other side, I'll fill in a couple of the things that the video doesn't tell you. But I want you to see the ecclesia in operation. I want you to take notice of the things that they do. I want you to to kind of imbibe what is the blueprint that they're operating out of that saw such ridiculous transformation in a city that was known as the murder capital of the world to a, to a city where basically crime completely ceased. So let's have a look. By the way, if you're listening to this on the podcast, we're going to post this video up on the website and there'll be a link in the podcast notes for that. That was for the sake of people who are not in this room right now. Does that mess you up or what? Oh my goodness. So let me give you a couple of bits to the backstory and then we'll bring this into land. 
that didn't come without a fight. One of the key strongholds in that city was their major prison, known as El Cerizo. I don't have a very good Latin American accent, but that will be close. Um, and as the story goes, residing in a cell inside that prison was the equivalent of owning a lease in a coveted shopping mall in terms of your ability to make money. That is how corrupt the system was. So 93% of the inmates used drugs, 60% of the guards were involved in bringing the drugs inside. Everyone was on the cartel's payrolls, the guards, the janitors, the cooks, and also the warden, especially the warden. God spoke to Poncho, the pastor that you saw there, um, because he had seen a testimony from one of Ed Silvoso's ministries where an entire prison that was in the same kind of situation had been transformed. And God put a burden on his heart and said, we have to transform this thing because it's essentially the gates of hell in their city. It's where the enemy was operating from. <laughs> I love the way this is. Cleaning up a prison was not an operation for which Poncho had been trained in seminary. <laughs> so I don't know, they don't seem to have that in Bible college. Just say, okay. Yeah. But while attending this conference, he had seen the country's largest prison transformed to such a degree that it was wrestled from a crime syndicate and a church run by converted felons was established inside its walls, inmate run 24-hour, prayer chains were instituted and recidivism, as in the rate at which people would re-offend once they got out, uh, rates were reduced from 85% down to 5%. That's all right, hey. Hardened by having seen this firsthand, Poncho knew he needed to act accordingly, trusting in God who had called him to believe him for the city. The mayor of Ciudad Juarez asked Poncho what he would need to accomplish this task. He goes to the mayor and says, hey, we need to clean this thing up and I'm up for it. Gutsy. Poncho replied, I want the chief of police and the chief of internal affairs reporting directly to me. (laughs) This is a local pastor. (laughs) Reporting directly to me and sworn to secrecy to plan how to retake the prison by surprise. Immediately the mayor agreed and told him to go for it. In the small group of people who began to trust God for transformation, a functional conventus, go back to 1st of May's message if you don't know what that word means, um, or a small ecclesia, was a spirit-led Christian lawyer who had served as a judge at the state level. Poncho immediately installed him as El Cerezo's new warden. On his second day at work, a mean-looking stranger walked into his office, placed a briefcase on his desk, and cockily blurted, Boss, here it is. The new warden asked, What was here? Come on, don't pretend. You know how the game is played. Every week, we'll bring you a suitcase with $25,000. You just look the other way and everything will be okay. This is the corruption. Quickly and decisively, the man was informed that he could not buy the new warden with $25,000. Oh, you're one of those who plays hard to get. That's okay. How much do you want? We'll raise it to 30. Again, the warden said emphatically that such an amount didn't even tickle him. Oh, you're one of the expensive ones. Well, okay, we'll give you 40000 Nope, the warden assured the man that 40000 would not work either. This was fast turning into a scene from high noon at the K Corral. Tension was rapidly rising and so were the stakes. The Christian warden knew that if he agreed, he would come under this particular cartel's control. His integrity and communion with God and his walk with Christ would fall by the wayside. On the other hand, if he kept saying no, the other party would say, okay, be prepared to suffer the consequences. And either he or someone in his family would be dead the next day. As a former judge, he was aware of how the drug lords operated. 
Visibly irritated, the emissary from the cartel said, look, I don't know if you're hearing me, take the money, because if you don't, you will not be able to withstand the pain that will come to you and your family. Look, man, we all have a price. Tell me what yours is. Let's stop haggling. The warden insisted again that there was no possible way the pe- um, that the people this man represented would be able to pay the price he had in mind. What's your price? shouted the emissary, the criminal guy. The warden responded with calm authority. Look, if you have something more valuable than the blood that my Lord shed on the cross for my sins and yours, give it to me and I'm all yours. If not, leave my office right now. Wow. <laughs> Gutsy move. <laughs> The emissary was completely caught off guard, not only by those words, but even more so by the conviction with which the warden spoke them. Visibly shaken, he muttered, we don't want to mess with the great chief. (laughs) Then he grabbed the suitcase and left, never to come back again. In Spanish, Lord is Señor, which is used to secularly address God, but also a boss or chief. Later on, when Poncho asked the warden how he came up with such an ultimatum, he said, it was the Holy Spirit. The Lord assured us that he would put the right words in our mouth when we're in difficult situations. That's in the Bible. Those were definitely the right words because the emissary was a member of Los Aztecas, a brutal gang of more than 10,000 members who consider themselves true Azteca Indians and who revere the great chief as God. And one taboo they will never break is challenging the great chief. If the new warden was under such a great chief, they figure they'd better pull back. Amazing. Anyway... In essence, the stronghold of the cartels around the prison fell and there is so much more to that story that we don't have time for now. So what happened after that was basically the, the criminal gangs in, that couldn't operate in the jails anymore. So um, this was a precursor for what was to happen in the city because one of their base of operations in the jail was shut. The cartel moved into vacant homes and took over the marketplace, imposing a culture of death with 10 or more murders a day. Those residents who were unable to leave town lived with the combined horror of fearing for their lives while seeing people shot or hung from bridges as the new normal. Any business that refused to pay protection money was given the one, two, three punch treatment. First, the cartels fired shots into the building from a passing car. Next, they set it on fire. Finally, they killed either the owner or a family member. Fear and hopelessness grip the city. You get the idea of what's happening. This is, so this is no just, oh, nice church programs. This was pretty serious. Now, remember last week we were talking about Understanding that we live in a region and every region has territorial spirits that govern it. Just so happens that theirs was particularly violent. Now, here was the turning point. According to Poncho, the turning point in the heavenly places over Suid Juarez occurred when he and a fellow pastor said yes to God and they went up to a high place to adopt the city. Together they declared, Juarez, you are no longer an orphan city. You have been adopted by your Father in heaven and by us. I want to suggest, and I've said this a few weeks back, that fatherlessness is one of the biggest blights on modern society. And you can pretty much draw a direct statistical correlation between fatherlessness and criminal activity. That's at an individual level, but think about it at a city level. A city that is fatherless will go to hell in a handbasket. And so they, and they knew this and they understood that the answer is the adoptive love of the father. And so they stood and they declared over that city, city, you are no longer an orphan, we adopt you. 
I don't want us to underestimate the power of that declaration. Now, what I'm not going to do is at the end of this go, right, we're all going to make a declaration because adoption is a decision that takes a long time to make, okay? It's not something that you don't do lightly because it's something that's going to impact every part of the rest of your life. But I want to throw that thought out there. I want us to buzz it around. I want us to pray and see how God would have us operate in a spirit of adoption over our region. Did you start to see some of the blueprint that was happening in this city? It started with the adoption. There was confronting the powers of darkness in the city. But as they started to get breakthrough, they didn't just do churchy programs. Did you see the business mountain in operation? See, one of the, peop- one of the reasons people go to crime is because they have no other way of earning money and they have no skills that are employable. So there were three businesses that they talked about there. There was the youth bar, there was the mechanic shop, and then there was the cafe, all which received funds from the church to get going and to get supplied. But it wasn't just a business to make money to fund the church. It was a business that took on people and not only taught them a skill, but also discipled them in Christ in the every single day. So the church came out of its walls and took seriously their need to adopt their city and to address the brokenness and darkness in the city in really, really pragmatic ways. If you want to kill poverty, hit education and employment. Pure and simple. I'm going completely out of order here, but um, the whole arts thing, That community centre, the city invites them and just basically gives them the money to build this art centre. Now, I don't know if you understand, but in terms of building culture, so when the Romans, the whole when in Rome, do as the Romans do, the whole concept of the apostle I've talked about in previous weeks, where the apostle was the military general who was sent into a conquered land to make that land like Rome. The apostle would take with them philosophers, artists, creative people and teach them the culture. In other words, they use the arts, yes, as an expression of creativity, but as a way of discipling and enculturating people. And so you then see this community centre designed with God at the centre of it, all as part of discipling a city in the kingdom. You see the education sector, they build this world-class museum. Like that is just... Can you imagine, like, you know, you're going to Bible college, typical pastor. What are you going to do? I'm going to build a museum. I'm going to, I'm going to transform a prison. I'm going to have political people answering to me. Like, it is just nuts. You see the interaction and the influence with government because they're solving real problems. This is why the influence, you see this through the book of Acts, is one of the ways that the people of God gain favor and influence in the cities because they solve real problems. They fed people. They fix societal issues. The other thing I want us to notice, because we've been on this journey for the last year and a half, is you saw in there what happened within the church. Where he said, where, you know, that guy who said, I got, just got so used to looking at the back of people's heads, stand up, sit down, take up an offering, worship, whatever. And he said, now we turn and face each other. And he said, what did he say? He said, Now we see each other's faces. We see each other worshipping. We see each other smiling. We see each other crying. In other words, we're building heart connection and community together. That was one of the transformations that happened within. 
We've been talking about that for a year and a half. So what does that look like here? See, we don't have drug lords taking over the entire economy of the city. We don't have zero... Like, if you look around, we are economically where 98% of the world wants to be. In fact, if you live in this area, you're better off than... I thought it was 98, but we're in the, let's say we're in the top 5% of the entire planet in terms of how well we are, we are off economically. Yet, I want to suggest one of the major poverties in our society is poverty of heart. Anxiety and depression are absolutely epidemic. Family breakdown and pain and trauma because of family breakdown is absolutely epidemic. And even though from an income perspective, we're in the top five, four, two, whatever it is, percent of the entire planet, the economic stress that family breakdown puts... Where normally, you know, one and a half, two incomes will easily provide for a family. You've got multiple houses, multiple resources. It multiplies the cost. It puts stress on people. People, therefore, have to work harder. Quality of relationships goes down. And you see where we go. So while we don't necessarily have a corruption problem on the level of that, don't believe that there isn't corruption around. It's just not on that level. It's not that overt. We do have a city which needs healed hearts. And unless we want to be a city, we have the biggest church in Australia, just in our backyard. And if you look at, um, yeah, we are the Bible Belt of Sydney. Two of the biggest churches between Hillsong and St. Paul's. And there are a lot of other churches around here. We have a lot of people in church. Unless we want to be one of those cities that has huge church attendance but has no impact on society, we need to find a different blueprint. And this is what we've been going after the last few weeks is we need to discover and be impacted by what is God's blueprint for this thing that he birthed called the Ecclesia. And it looks a whole lot different to our synagogue model that we've been messing with for the last couple of hundred years and a bit more. What am I asking tonight? At the very base level, I'm just asking us to be profoundly challenged and confronted by A, what Jesus had in mind, and B, by seeing it in operation, how far the gap is between what we know as church and what Jesus designed for church is. And I want us to start praying. I want us to dig deep in prayer and ask him, for strategies and ask him for words and words of wisdom and strategy that will see us fundamentally turn around the heart of a region and of a city. Now, yes, we're in Rouse Hill, but when Deb and I were first, when God spoke to us about starting this Motley crew, we were called Life Community Church Sydney because we felt that our call was to the whole city of Sydney, not just to the region of Rouse Hill. Right now, this is where we are. That's okay. I like it here. <laughs> but we have a calling that's way bigger than where, where we are currently at. Now, this is not a rebuke at all because we're, we're forming. It's like saying to a you know, one-and-a-half-year-old, why aren't you full-size and fully grown and fully mature right now? Come on, hurry up. You know, it just doesn't happen this way. This emerges. 
But it's important as we are emerging, as we are forming into who God has created us together to be, that we allow his blueprint, his DNA to touch us and to be the blueprint from which we reproduce. And then from there, we operate in a spirit of adoption over our city and say, you know what? Nothing happens in our city unless it goes through us first. Because the ecclesia has legislative authority in the heavenlies, we talked about that last week, and on the earth by putting things right, by putting things in order, by fixing problems. So let's stand. I want to pray into this and then we're going to get into some serious soup. It's not comical soup, it's serious soup. <laughs> so let's just get into, get into some kind of just engage your heart with God mode. And I wanna, I'm going to pray a dangerous prayer. I'm going to ask God to absolutely confront us and impact us with his heart. I'm going to ask him to give us strategies to build from so that we would be truly representative of what he had in mind when he said, I will build my church. So Jesus, we just acknowledge first that you are the head of the church, that you are Lord, and that you know exactly what you're doing. And you're really good at what you do. God, we want to embody what you had in mind when you said, I will build my ecclesia. We give you permission to blow off all the limitations. Blow off, if you like, the lampshades that we've put around the light that means that the light can be light and the dark can be dark. Lord, turn us into a city on a hill that dispels darkness in every form. God, we give you permission to expand our mindset and our heart set where we've just lived like, let me get through this week. Let me make sure I've got a job that puts food on the table and provides for my family. And I have some time for some spiritual activity in there because you know, that's important. Break our mold and sow us into society like leaven such that the society in which we are sowed into takes on the characteristics of that which we carry, which is your kingdom. And in that way, it will truly be on earth as it is in heaven. Blow our minds for how we can use our skill sets because you've created them for a purpose. And God, we ask that you would give us your adoptive heart for our city that our city would not be fatherless, orphaned and wandering around directionless. But that our city, our region would be adopted, would be fathered, would be mothered by people who carry your heart, who carry your blueprint, who know how to heal hearts and who know how to heal economies, who know how to heal cultures who know how to build bridges between races and ethnic groups, who know how to release your kingdom and see justice established on earth. We give you permission, Father. We give you permission 
to confront us, to touch us, to renew our hearts and minds with your DNA. In Jesus' name. If you're game, say amen. <laughs> yeah, if you said amen, now be prepared for what he does. This is not an overnight thing. This is going to take time. But let, let's let him build us. Yeah? All right. Amen.